So this may seem on paper, well, in your ears anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyway, this may seem a bit of a lazy podcast, this one, as I'm sticking to a subject which I know very well, namely Formula One, but bear with me because there are some truly astonishing unbreakable records which I'm sure will amaze you so keep the faith and I'll fill you in on the context behind some of these amazing unbeatable records if I was to ask you what the lowest race winning average speed for a Grand Prix is you you're what would you probably guess <clears throat> maybe 100 miles an hour 120 miles an hour no what the slowest average speed for a race winning driver in Formula One set at the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix more on which later and the race winner, Jensen Button, his average speed was 74.864 kilometres an hour, which translated to miles per hour is 46.518 miles per hour, which included six visits to the pit lane, including a drive through penalty and a two hour rain delay. that was caused by a red flag. And speaking of the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix, another unbeatable record was set in that Grand Prix. The longest ever Grand Prix in terms of time. Despite the race distance being, give or take, 190 miles or 310 kilometres, give or take, or 70 laps for this particular Grand Prix, the time it took for Jensen Button to complete the race distance was 4 hours, 4 minutes, 39.537 seconds. Since then, it's been made through regulation impossible to surpass this. Because nowadays... Grand Prix can only take place in a two-hour two-hour window, regardless of the length of a red flag. So, if it was happen, if it was to happen today, there would be no re resumption of the race, which is a shame because if it had happened on this particular day, there would have been only half points awarded, and also we wouldn't have seen one of the most exciting Grand Prix of all time. In other words, don't be fooled by the length of time it took to complete the race. It was an absolute thriller, if I say so myself. Now here's a brand new unprecedented record, which, although theoretically possible, I seriously doubt I would see this sort of thing happen. And it was only set last year, this record. Sergio Perez set a record for most number of starts before taking a victory. 
it took him to, you know, before he took that first win in the Sakir Grand Prix in 2020, he he took that victory on his 190th attempt. 190. The previous record holder, Mark Webber, he took his first win at his 130th attempt. That gives an idea of just how crazy Sergio Perez's record is. And although a brand new record, as I've already said, I seriously doubt it will be beaten anytime soon. The next unbeatable margin is held by a Brit. The largest winning margin in terms of time for a Grand Prix. Now you might think for example, if you know Formula One, that it would be Damon Hill in Australia 1995 when he won by two whole laps. But that wasn't the biggest margin in terms of time. In terms of time, the record for winning margin is held by Sterling Moss, arguably the greatest F1 driver to never win the World Championship. His winning margin at Portugal in 1958 was 5 minutes 12.75 seconds. 5 minutes 12 seconds. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Switching to someone who did win the world championship the record for oldest ever driver to win the world championship Juan Manuel Fangio he was nearly 47 years old when he secured the world championship in 1957 and when you consider that these days drivers are retiring in their 30s on average and mid 40s at absolute most I don't think this record is going to be beaten anytime soon 46 years old and but keep in mind he was 37 when he started racing absolutely amazing next we move on to most successful car ever now you might think that it would be, for example, the 1988 McLaren, where in the hands of Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost, they secured 15 out of 16 race victories that season. But actually, it's not. You see, there is one car that has a 100% strike rate. I'm talking, of course, about the 1978 Rabham Fancar, or, as it was officially dubbed, the BT46B. That car was entered into only one Grand Prix, the Swedish Grand Prix Anderstorp, in 1978, in the hands of Nicky Lauda and John Watson. 
that car was a brilliant or scandalous depending on your perspective use of uh, utilising imaginative interpretation of wording of regulations at the time the regulations stipulated that a movable aerodynamic device primarily for influencing the performance of the car is illegal so therefore the designer of the car Gordon Murray fitted a fan at the back of the car driven by the gearbox to remove air from the floor of the car to increase downforce but up to up but in order to pass the regulation he argued that it was primarily to cool the engine but that the side effect was sucking air out from the floor the car was passed legal by the letter of the regulations and scored a victory in its one and only Grand Prix in the Swedish Grand Prix of 1978 and Nicky Lauda's winning margin 34 seconds was an absolute country mile by 1970s Formula 1 standard contrary to popular belief it wasn't banned straight away it was withdrawn for political reasons because the head of the Brabham team at the time a certain Bernie Eccleston felt that it was more important to keep the Formula One Constructors Association or FOCA for short together in their dispute with the Fédération Internationale du Sport de l'Automobile or FISA a precursor to the modern day FIA but, the, but regardless the regulations were nonetheless tightened up to prevent a similar exploitation of the rules. Next we move on to a bit of a bugbear for me. All too often when hearing about someone taking their first win in Formula 1 and Sergio Perez when his first win was reported on was no exception. I hear people talking about insert name here won their first race. No, they didn't. At least that is, except for the next entry on unbeatable records. 1961 again, Giancarlo Baghetti became the only driver to score a race victory on their debut. That's right. Giancarlo Baghetti is the only example where it is correct to say he won his first Grand Prix. It turned out to be the one and only race victory of his whole career because despite being promoted to the works Ferrari team after that amazing victory, he got nowhere near the podium, let alone race victory challenging contention uh, for the rest of his career. But nonetheless, that unbeatable record still stands. The one and only driver to win his first Grand Prix. And now for the record which, without fail, makes everybody I've spoken to that hasn't seen Formula 1 before take a disbelieving intake of breath. 
the smallest margin in terms of time difference in qualifying times for top three. 0 0.000 seconds. Yes, you heard me right. Three drivers all set the exact same time to the same thousandth of a second. And the three drivers who set those times, in the order that they set the times that day in 1997 in Spain at the Jerez racetrack, Jacques Villeneuve, Michael Schumacher and Heinz-Harald Frentzen. All three set 121.072 seconds. And the timesheet was hilarious. If you imagine the 90s era graphics where you had the number box with the number in black and it shows that in two columns, the top six, the top three on the left-hand side of the screen showed the top three. It said, for Villeneuve, 121.072. Michael Schumacher, 0, 0.000. Frentzen, 0, 0.000. Amazing. <laughs> I was... I was only eight years old when that happened and I doubt I'll ever see it happen again. So these records so far have been pretty positive ones that they want all ones that the drivers would aspire to beat. But now for the second half of the podcast and nothing against any of the records or drivers holding these records specifically nothing against them but how about some more humorous touches by talking about records nobody wants stand by Sebastian Vettel he is a record holder in many counts youngest pole sitter Youngest race winner, youngest world champion, you name it. But there's one record he holds that I don't think he'll be particularly proud of somehow. In his first official practice session as a Grand Prix driver, not participating in the whole weekend, he was only a third driver at the time. But at Istanbul Park in 2006, as he was setting off down the pit lane for his first go in an official session... He sped in the pit lane. Six seconds into his uh, first go in a Formula One car. What can I say? Now, Italian driver Andrea De Cesaris got a bit of a reputation for being accident prone in his lengthy career, which stretched from 1980 to 1994. But... The, th the thing was, this guy was no slouch. I mean, he recorded one pole position and one fastest lap, including five podium finishes in his lengthy career. But not once in the 208 Grand Prix he participated in could he take the chequered flag first. 
and the nearest he came to taking the checkered flag first was at Long Beach in 1982. Running with Alfa Romeo, he put his Alfa Romeo on pole position there and was leading the race until he got distracted by a backmarker and uh, was too busy gesticulating to notice Nicky Lauda coming up behind him who used opportunism to overtake and the latter scored the first victory of his ultimately, two years later anyway, successful return to the sport after setting up his own airline. While we're on the subject of Andrea de Cesaris, he has another unfortunate record. For most retirements, for whatever reason, in a season. 14, no less. In 1986 and 1987, driving for Minardi and Brabham, he scored 14 DNFs in each season. 1986 was worse because in that season he failed to score any points and had a DNQ in Monaco and his only other f and his only finish of the season was an 8th place in Mexico which at the time warranted no points. As for 87, he scored a third place in Belgium, which was his only points finish of the season. And his only other finish was an eighth place again, classified eighth, because he didn't finish the race technically in Australia, but uh, he'd completed 90% of the race distance. Now, before he came to be known as... A cucumber in jokey circles. Narain Karthikeyan was considered a relatively speedy if inconsistent driver but there's one unfortunate record that he holds. Not that it's a particularly remarkable record in, given that in motorsport as the saying goes to finish first first you have to finish at the European Grand Prix at Valencia in 2011, Carthacayan crossed the line to finish in 24th position, which unfortunately is the lowest classified position for any driver. And the even more hilarious thing, he broke his own lowest finish record of 23rd which was set that same year at the Chinese Grand Prix. <laughs> dear, oh dear. How's this for an amazing, unwanted record? Gabriele Tarquini. He's probably best known in touring car circles. 1994 British Touring Car Champion, 2003 European Touring Car Champion, and World Touring Car Champion in different forms in 2009 and 2018. However, in Formula One circles, he's probably infamous for 
40, yes, 4-0 failures to qualify for Grand Prix, of which 25 of them were failures to even pre-qualify. Poor guy. <laughs> it's just symptomatic of uh, how he was undoubtedly no slouch, but he was just saddled with uh, the typical... 80s and 90s era for really terrible F1 cars. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear, if ever the three letter initials were a bad omen. I joke. But uh, one of the most unfortunate records for any driver is Luca Badoa. He holds the unfortunate record of most amount of starts, 50 no less, without scoring a point. Admittedly, for most of them, he was driving in really underwhelming at best machinery between 1993 and 1999, driving for teams like Scuderia Italia, Minardi and Forti. But unfortunately... The last team he drove for in a race in 2009 was a team where he should have scored points and if he had driven the F60 of 2009 for more than he did prior to those two races that he did race, he would have uh, undoubtedly scored points. But no, Luca Badoa, yeah, he didn't score any points. And it was embarrassing, unfortunately, watching him uh, struggle so badly. It wasn't his fault. I mean, I should say that. He was no slouch. I mean, he was a Formula 3000 champion in, in the uh, 1990s. And, and beat out drivers who themselves were no slouches either. But... Uh, just found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time. He was not helped by the by the driving difficulties in the packaging for the F60 of 2009 that uh, caused him to struggle worse than he actually did. If you've never heard of the name David Walker, that's probably... Not a surprise in the context of Formula One. The poor guy, Australian driver, he had the misfortune of being perhaps the most overlooked teammate to a world champion you could possibly be. Well, in 1972, Emerson Fittipaldi recorded five race victories and in turn got three more podium finishes in that season to become, at the time, the youngest ever Formula One world champion, Walker not only failed to win a race, not only did he fail to get on the podium, but he failed to score a single point. His best finish was a ninth place finish 
in the Spanish Grand Prix of 1972. Talk about lopsided. So there you have it. An honorary mention should probably go to Chris Amon. The New Zealander was probably one of the most gifted race drivers to seemingly be unable to uh, convert leading a race into the chequered flag. Monza 1971 is a case in point. The last race on the pre-chicane version of Monza, he was leading from pole position as the race was drawing to a close. And he was just doing, as race drivers have done since uh, they were introduced, what he was trying to do was remove a tear-off strip from his visor to enhance his vision. Unfortunately, he didn't do that. Instead, he ripped off the entire visor. With his eyes exposed to the 200 mile an hour wind, the 30 second margin that he did have was squandered as he could only cruise slowly round relative to the pace that he was going and eventually be classified just in the points in sixth place. But if there was anything that would result in bad luck, it would happen to Chris Amon. But anyway... Sorry this podcast was a little bit late in appearing. I uh, just needed to sort out some uh, editing of the uh, podcast. I shall see you next week. and uh, Well, I say next week. It will be all being well Friday when uh, the next podcast will drop. So yeah, tune in very soon everyone.